You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. The book that we're going to be walking through today, uh, we were supposed to be in the second part of Job. We were supposed to be then in another book. And then God decided, like, no, we have to switch a little bit. So we're going to go with Ecclesiastes. And as we were praying this morning in the prayer, prayer room, we found out that it's not a coincidence because it's a book that talks about seasons. And he has high, uh, highlighted too many things that are going right now in each one of us at this time that he sees. He sees. He knows. So we're going to go through this book. I'm going to be highlighting some of the topics, and I'm going to explain how more or less this book is. But I encourage you to go and read this book when you get home during this week. Uh, this is a book that talks about or tries to make sense of life. Have you ever found yourself wondering, like, why do I exist? Or what is life about? Anybody? Or it's just, yes. This book is that book. And it's part of what is known as the wisdom literature. And the name, the original name, it's a Hebrew word uh, that you're going to be seeing there, but it's kohelet, which means preacher or teacher. And the picture in that word, it's somebody that is going to be in front of an assembly. So I don't know if you can imagine maybe the Greek philosophers that were in front of these stadiums. That's more or less the picture. So the Greek word for assembly then changed, and that's ecclesia, which gives the name of Ecclesiastes. Okay, so it's a teaching in front of people. It's the shortest of the wisdom books, which we started with Sundays ago, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. This is the shortest, just 12 chapters. And the author is thought to be Solomon. Okay? Do you remember Solomon, David's son, one famous king? He's known to be the, yeah, the one with wisdom, the wisest. Okay? So this is him. Just thinking, and it's more or less like a monologue. I don't know if you have been in a drama place where it's just one person and that person walks and talks and questions and answers to himself. It's that kind of play. Yes, yeah. This book, this play follows Israel's wisdom tradition. And this is very important to know because if you have read this book or if you go back home and read it, you're going to be a little bit puzzled because sometimes it contradicts some things that you have read in the Bible and it's like, what? what is he saying about life here? And that is because the wisdom tradition in Israel, it's not to write words that are supposed to be given from God directly, like the prophets. Do you remember when we studied the prophets? It was very clear, like the Holy Spirit is on me, and this is what God says. Thus says the Lord, and it's really God speaking through them. Wisdom tradition, it's supposed to be these human beings that are trying in their own limited mind, with their own limited experiences and lives, just to think, and maybe like a, like a food critic when analyzes the food in front of him, this is like a life critic. 
Okay? So he's asking, I will serve this. And what's the purpose of that? Maybe it's this, like, oh, like everything is useless. Okay, so this is the, more or less the mood of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but it's very interesting to see everything that he thinks about. So you have to see it from that perspective when you read the book. And from the perspective that God says that everything that's in the, in the Bible, it's for our own good. It's to teach us, for us to learn. So you're going to learn and read the good and the bad, and we are supposed to be learning from that with God in mind. So the content of this book, okay, to solve the mystery of life, the mystery of human existence, and he does that by analyzing opposite realities. So you're going to see topics like life and death, okay, wisdom and folly, or foolishness. And you're going to see things like wealth and poverty, like what about money and what about those that don't have any money? Okay, so sometimes you're going to see the tone is very pessimistic because we're going to see what imagery and words he uses. This. Uh, but God is always present. He never forgets about the reality that God is good. So a question that I want you to think about is, what things in life make you happy? Can you think of some things in life that make you happy? I see smiles. Well, you might not be able to say everything, so <laughs> use wisdom. <laughs> Just from the smiles, my mind went like, okay. Yes. Okay, craft room, crafts. Yes, what else? <laughs> <laughs> Food, friends, music, family, yeah, baking, the beach, yes, the ocean, vacations, yes. Oh, thank you, Vanessa. Friends, friends, yeah, friends make me happy. Thank you so much. What else? Nature. Dogs or pets make us happy, yes. So, this person thinks about all of these things, okay? And he says, like, okay, those are really good things, but none of these things together or by themselves, isolating each one, is going to really fulfill the longing, the deepest desire of the human heart that is too deep. And I was like, yes, it's very interesting. So he starts... Uh, with one main question, and all the book is going to try to answer that main question. And this is the main question. It's in chapter 1, verse 3. What advantage does man have from all his work which he does under the sun, while earthbound? Like everything that we do, what good is it? What advantage do we get? from going through life, everything that we do. And he says things like, okay, we pursue wealth, we pursue friendships and family, we want our pets, we want vacations, we want wisdom, we want diplomas and degrees, we want knowledge, okay? Uh, but his conclusion, and you're going to see that, is that all of this is meaningless, 
Okay, so he says this in verse 2. That's the very, very beginning. Okay, so what a happy thought to begin a book. Okay, verse 2 says, Vanity of vanities, or meaningless of meaningless. Okay, says the preacher. All that is done without God's guidance is vanity. Futile, meaningless, a wisp of smoke, a vapor that vanishes, merely chasing the wind. This is what he ends up just believing. Can you describe vapor or smoke? What is it? How is it? Non-tangible, yeah. It's, it's a funny image because you see it and you, you, you can actually touch it, but you cannot grab it, okay? It's moving all the time. What else? Doesn't look the same way twice. Yes. What else? It's gone in an instant. Yes. Yes. You can, it's like I don't want to be touched, right? It just. Yes. So he says this is life. It's like smoke. It's always changing. You cannot really like touch it. It disappears really like a wisp of air. It's really, really fast. And he mentions this word vapor, okay, 38 times, which is a lot yeah. in a very short book, okay? So we're going to see some of the things that he highlights and God is going to be speaking because the way he creates this book, it's really interesting. I just pictured these parentheses or brackets Okay, so he opens with a bracket, and then you have something in the middle, and then you close the bracket. So the beginning, it's the main question. That's the beginning, the opening of the bracket. And he closes with the conclusion. And then in between these two, we have all this content, all the analysis, all the thoughts about life. And I'm going to highlight just some of those, okay, some content. Remember, I encourage you to read it, okay? One is that God has his purpose. He has his plans for today, and everything has a specific time, which really speaks to us today, okay? So chapter 3, he speaks about a time for everything, and it reads something like this. It has a law. It's a long list for the time for all plans, but I just highlighted some. Uh, chapter 3 says, there is a season or a time appointed for everything and a time for every delight and event or purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And I think one of those says also a time to embrace and a time to let go. There's always a time for everything. So as we go through the book, that's one of the things that I think God wants us to think. What's your time right now? What's the season that you are going through right now? Is it a season of mourning something or a season to dance? And rejoice? Is it a time of weeping or a time to laugh? Is it a time to uproot, meaning that you might be moving, or a time to plant? So 
Every one of us, it, it just seems that we are going through such an important time in life right now. Too many changes, too many things. What's your season? Because God sees that season. God sees what you are going through. Okay, another topic, okay, number two. It's future, okay, the unknown, what's going to happen because as human beings, we all want to know the future. We wish we could know the future. And of course, in the future, we have always this picture of death or dying. Okay, so future and death are another topic that this preacher thinks about. And we read in chapter 8, since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their own death. And chapter 9, he continues thinking about this. The same destiny overtakes all. They join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. And the first time ever that I read this verse, I was like, what? Like, I didn't know you could have a verse like this. And it's really interesting. Okay, what a perspective. Because if you ask even the youngest child, okay, who is stronger, a dog or a lion? The lion, right? And they roar and they love the picture of a lion. What, what if the lion is not alive? It's useless, so it's like a vapor, it's like nothing, okay? So these are all the images that he uses to make his point, okay? Another topic, number three, it's of course life. And all the book talks about life. But he says that life is affected by time and, and chance, like the vapor that you said, like nothing is repeated twice, the shape is not the same twice, or it changes all the time. like. I, I can feel him saying, I wish I could just have the guarantee that this is going to be okay, that uh, what I plan for my life is going to be like this, 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 and this, and it's going to be perfectly well. No position, no problems, everything perfect. I want that to happen. And he just says like, no, life is without logic. Nothing is guaranteed. And he says in chapter 9 again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. So he's, that's what he thinks. Okay, just hold on a little bit. <laughs> Another topic for that it's always there, and this is important, is that God bless you. God is sovereign. Okay? In chapter 11, he says, As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And I just loved this. Because I could picture that. When a woman is pregnant, we all rejoice, right? But what if we could see God sending the spirit of that baby into the womb? I was like, wow, that is such a wonderful thing. And you see it and you do it. Each one of us got that when you were in the womb of your mom. But we don't know how that works. God does. And 
the teacher, the preacher is saying, God works really in a mystery, but he has control of everything, and that is very powerful. So I was, as I was reading this, of course, Holy Spirit said, like, okay, you have to remember one thing. This person wrote this and tried to teach and think about this without Jesus in mind. This is before Jesus. Now that we have Jesus, we have a new perspective. So what about the future? What happens in the future now that you have Jesus? Okay, so John 14 came to mind because this teacher, this preacher is saying, who knows the future? I want to know the future. John 14 says, these things, it's Jesus speaking, I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Okay? The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. And another version says, he will show you all things. And this is present and future. And he, the Holy Spirit, will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus' words. The Holy Spirit with us now. He is the one who shows us and teaches us whatever is going to happen. Have you had that um, experience with Holy Spirit that you are praying for something in the future? Sometimes he doesn't say anything, but sometimes he reveals what's going to happen. Maybe a word through another person or maybe a dream. And the future is, I remember what came to my mind here was when I was pregnant with my third girl. Um, it was very, very early in the pregnancy, and I think that was the only time I heard the audible voice of God. I was sleeping, and his voice was so loud that he woke me up. And he said, when the baby girl is born, do not get sad. And I was, do not get sad. And I woke up, and my heart just was racing, and I was like, what do I focus on? The fact that you told me that you just spoke, and you woke me up, and then you said it's a baby girl, when there's no way in science they can know that there's a baby girl yet. You said it's a baby girl. But why am I not to get sad? What's going to happen? So I just kept that word in my mind. I didn't even say it in a whisper. I just like kind of buried it inside, and I thought about that word every day of the pregnancy. And I would tell God, why did you do this? I want to know more now. What, what do I do with this? And there were days when I just would tell him, don't tell me more. I don't want to know. And he remembered that. I, I just remember that because he's, sometimes as humans, we want to know every single thing about our future. But I don't think it's not a good idea for us to know everything about our future. Right? Uh, really, there were days that I, t I would tell him, thank you for not telling me more. I don't want to know. And of course, uh, I share my testimony, but I was 24 weeks pregnant, just past healthy pregnancy time when I started having contractions, and in a few hours, the baby was born. 24 weeks of pregnancy. She was the sickest of 100 babies. And we saw a miracle after miracle after miracle, and the only thing that I had was God's word. You said, do not get sad. 
that means everything is going to be okay. And I just grabbed that word, like my life was that word. And you can see Isabella running around now, 10 years old, <laughs> like if nothing happened, and it's just miracle after miracle. But this, this reminded me about that when we want to know the future, we want guarantees. But sometimes it's not a good idea, but we have a guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit. He can reveal to us, he can teach us what he knows we can handle and we need at a specific time. So that takes us to another topic, death and dying. Okay, what about now with Jesus? We still have, sadly, people obviously passing away or dying and it's very, very hard. It's not a matter of the past when this preacher was thinking about that. We deal with it today. But with Jesus, we have a different perspective. John 3.16 is the first verse that came to my mind. He came that we would not die spiritually, right? But to ha for us to have eternal life. That's a complete concept. It's new, eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains here, and it was so powerful when I was reading it, and he's saying, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruit, he's the first one of those who have fallen asleep, who have passed. But each in his own order. So first, it's going to be Jesus, he's the first fruits. And then, at his coming, because he is coming again, those who belong to Christ. Okay? And then, this is step three, comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, for Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I went, yes. <laughs> because we know the end. This teacher had no hope because Jesus was not in the view yet. But we know he has defeated death. He resurrected. And even when our loved ones pass away, we, we are going to be passing away. We have a different perspective. Death has been defeated. And my kids have this perspective and I pray that they always get it because we sometimes talk and they say like I tell them when I'm a hundred years old I want you to do this and they are like mom you're going to be in heaven by then and like like yes that's true and there's no sadness there's this um, reality they are so positive it's like heaven is real like you are going to be in heaven like yes I will <laughs> okay so I what if we all had that reality in mind it's real. It's real. It's a different perspective. So this is in between the brackets. And then he closes the bracket with the conclusion. And we see chapter 12, the last chapter, with two things. One is words to, to the youth. And this is so meaningful today because kids are growing up and adolescents. I have a teenager, almost two teenagers now. And they are strong, they have dreams, they think that they can do anything in the world, and then the older I get, like, it feels like life is going by so fast, like, oh, it's too fast, what are we going to be doing? And uh, a lot of things happen when you get old, and the teacher this, tells about that, like, 
wow, I don't want that. So he speaks to the young people and he tells them this, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the bad days of old age come. And the years run near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, like I don't like this, okay? And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. And he says, vapor of vapor, soul is a vapor. But then he gives the real conclusion, okay? And this is the real point of everything. And he says so, verses 13 to 14. When all has been heard, the end of the matter is fear God, which means worship him in all field reverence, knowing that he is almighty God and keep his commandments, keep his word, for this applies to every person. So he's saying God is the answer. Whatever is going on, the meaning of life Everything the human existence longs for and tries to explain has its answer in God, in Jesus. That is the real answer, and he's the only one that can really feel that longing, the deepest desire in the human heart. It's just Jesus. So if you see the whole thing, he's going to say there must be a balance, like Vacations are not a bad thing. Like wanting to have money, it's not a bad thing. Okay, we need it. We enjoying food, enjoying your friends' relationships are not a bad thing, but you have to keep your eyes on God. He is sovereign and He is good all the time. He's saying He's the ultimate reality, the ultimate truth, and you'll find every answer in Him. So you have to keep that perspective. And I was thinking, when we think about all these things, the future and death and careers, as a mom, sometimes I think we get a lot of anxiety and worry, right? Because we want, what? We want our kids to be safe all the time. Like, please, Lord. And what about college? Like, oh, I don't want to think about that yet. Uh, all of this is coming. And we get caught in this worry. And he just was telling me, when you have God in mind, when you have the right perspective, there should be peace because you have Jesus and he's the presence of peace. He's the prince of peace. And that's John 14. And he gave me the verse, peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be what? Troubled, worried, anxious. Neither let them, don't let your hearts be afraid. And that's his promise. So I was thinking, right now we have the same, we deal with the same realities. What do we do now with this? And it's just don't be worried. Jesus is the answer, and he says so. Okay, he came to give us life and life abundant, right? He's going to be with us always, always, always to the end of the age. And then he gave me Romans 8.38, where he talks about 
what can separate you from the love of God? And I was like, wow, the list is really everything that this teacher is kind of listing. Uh, so we're going to read that, and we're going to pray. Romans 8.38, Paul saying, For I am convinced, and continue to be convinced, beyond any doubt, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, like nothing, none of the above, will be ever able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. So what we're going to be doing, because we covered a lot of things, <laughs> but I saw us praying for each other because I think each of us is going to fit in any of these, all of the above. If you are in a season in life, transitioning or a crying season or even a rejoicing season, I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I just had the picture of, I'm going to be calling different things. And I just had the picture of Holy Spirit having everybody standing up because we want everybody to receive prayer. It's going to be different today. So everybody going through seasons, I invite you to stand up. I had this deep, deep sense of calling, if you know that you have anxiety and worry about the future, about anything. It's just this, it's, you, you might be thinking it's not normal because I feel like I'm being consumed by anxiety and worry. I invite you to stand up because Holy Spirit wants to touch you, wants to break that.